Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. I have some things to uh, talk to you about before we get underway with looking at the Word of God today. Some people I'd like to introduce you to, but first, uh, a line of Scripture. It's from First uh, Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, where he says this, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So before I get into the word today, I want to put before you some excellent people here from uh, Bethesda Christian Church. They're part of the Bethesda family and congregation, and they have a desire As Paul wrote to Timothy, they have a desire to serve in a greater capacity. Paul continued in his uh, letter that he wrote to Timothy, and he said, Deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there's nothing against them, Let them serve as deacons. So it's our desire to be guided by Scripture. And the Word tells us that prospective deacons, as we've just heard, they should be tested. And if there's anything against them, then we we may uh, have to have a talk. But if there's nothing against them, we let them serve. That's what Paul wrote. We've put... A few couples in front of our church council. Uh, That uh, was about a month ago. They have been considered. Uh, They found nothing against them that would disqualify these uh, couples from serving. And we are planning to install them as deacons on September 18th, Sunday morning, provided as we put them before you this morning that you would accept them and that you wouldn't find any issues. If you do believe that you have something that might disqualify one of these from serving, we'd like to hear from you, and we'd like to hear from you directly. We will not accept anything anonymously. It needs to come uh, from you. That's also scriptural and biblical. So if there is anything at all, you can contact us at the church. And if you'd please do so in the next couple of weeks so that we can uh, make our plans accordingly. So now I give you uh, these candidates who we would like to add to the church council in September. First of all, Jesse and Kristen Allen. Uh, They have served here at the church for a good number of years. Uh, Jesse has been part of this church all his life. He has served on worship teams. Uh, He has been part of many of our productions in terms of being in the arts department, whether he's uh, singing or even working uh, behind the scenes. He has served in the area of youth ministry worship, and he was a small group leader for Route 33. Kristen, his wife, has uh, served in the technical area. She's also been a small group leader in Route 33. And currently, Jesse serves on our staff. 
He is the director of youth ministry, and he continues to serve in the arts department. Kristen assists him in his youth ministry and all that they do for the youth. That's uh, sixth grade through 12th grade. And they both serve in the nursery. If you know them, there's good reason for that, too. They have a couple of wonderful twins, as well as a newborn about uh, six months old, I believe, their new daughter. Next, we have uh, Joshua and Rebecca Malkin. They have been, in the past, serving here as nursery supervisors. They were a number of years in the youth catechism department as small group leaders and event coordinators for the youth catechism. They have been uh, assistants and event coordinators in Route 33, which is uh, the, the young adult group, if I hadn't mentioned that. Currently, uh, Joshua is serving as our head of safety ministry. It's a very important spot, and he's been doing a great job with that. And Rebecca is leading our first impressions team, which is a wide variety of ministries, and she's also doing an excellent job. And finally, I'd like to put before you Michael and Veronica Choir. Michael uh, has been here, too, for uh, really his upbringing and his life. He has served in the choir, and uh, he's attended Bethesda's Bible Institute. Uh, Veronica has served in the women's ministry together. Michael and Veronica served seven years in our youth catechism department. They were fantastic small group leaders in that department. And they have uh, moved on and are currently leading Michael and Veronica. They are leaders of our young adult group, which we call Route 33. So these fine folks I put before you to consider. Again, if you have anything that you'd like to speak to us about, please let us know uh, as promptly as you can because we'd like to, as I said, install them into their office on September 18th, pending no issues. Okay, so that's a little bit of uh, things happening here around Bethesda. It's great to be adding to our leadership, and we'd love to do that. As you know, we've been looking at God's Word in terms of knowing it, living it, and we're going to get to spreading the Word. We've talked about knowing God's Word. We've begun a series about living His Word that we've used Psalm 119 as our backdrop. It talks about getting on the right path, the pure path, the path that is set by God's Word. His Word that sets it out that the pathway leads to holiness and to godliness and ultimately our eternal destination, the great city of God. We considered what it means to hope in His Word. We've talked about trusting in His Word. And today we're getting down to a real core, an essence, if you will, of living the Word And we're going to talk about what it means to be obedient, to obey the Word. Because to live the Word, we have to obey what it says. The substance of living the Word is obedience. Psalm 119, it opens with this focus on obedience. It really is sort of the thesis statement of the entire psalm, which is a long psalm. The first uh, stanza of Psalm 119 really sets the... uh, the, 
the course for the psalm, and it begins with obedience. So I want to read to you the first eight verses of Psalm 119. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. That last, uh, that last phrase, the psalmist sounds a little bit down, doesn't he? Starts out with this blessing, this beatitude, but it's kind of this note of, I'm feeling a little bit separated from God. I'm feeling a little bit distanced from God. Lord, do not utterly forsake me. I think he realizes, the writer of the psalm, that there is something to being obedient, to obeying God's word. So he's begun, he's begun this psalm with this, this treatise, if you will, on, uh, on God's word. He's begun it with a beatitude. He says, blessed are those whose ways are blameless and keep his statutes. They follow his ways. Though the psalmist opens up his heart to reveal that he feels this distance, he feels this separation, I, I believe he fully realizes and he comprehends that blessing follows being obedient to God's word. So thus he makes his pledge. He makes a pledge there in the opening lines to obey the word. And he says it plainly and he says it straightforwardly. And what is obedience after all? Simply put, obedience is doing the will of someone who is set over us. And of course, the Lord is ultimately set over all of us. And when we don't like the will, when we do not understand when we have an, an abrasive attitude against the will of someone who is set over us, what is it that we try to do? We try to reason. We try to rationalize. Have you ever tried to rationalize your disobedience? Justify why you should get a pass on doing something that you know is wrong. Perhaps our psalmist here in Psalm 119 had done some of those thing, things. And, and perhaps that's why he feels this separation from God. Oh God, don't utterly forsake me. He knows he's not totally lost, but he, he just feels that there's been a distance set. And perhaps he had at one time rationalized or reasoned his disobedience with God. I'm sure from time to time we've all done that. I know I've done it. And it often seems it's in the little things, not so much the really big things. We can, we can 
avoid some of the real huge pitfalls and we know, oh, that's absolutely wrong and I'll never do that. It's definitely against God's word. But a lot of times it's the, it's the little things we rationalize and we justify. Oh, well, it's just a white lie, really. It's, uh, you know, considering the situation, I just, I had to tell a lie. Well, it's just a picture on my computer screen. After all, it, it doesn't hurt anybody. And besides, the culture is so open about these things and I see them all over the place. What difference does it make if I put it up on my computer? You know, what does the boss know anyway? Really? I mean, the boss has a... The boss has a uh, he's got a big office in New York. We're out here in the field. We're making the decisions. Do we really need to listen to him? Well, you know, I, I can't help what I do. I can't help it. God wired me this way. So, really, he, he understands. It's not hard, is it? Whatever the situation is, it's not hard to begin to, to rationalize, to begin to talk to ourselves and really talk ourselves out of being obedient. And you know what? It usually starts pretty young. It starts when we're just little tots. And I have an example. I have an example. I just want to show you a brief little video clip that I think illustrates this this morning. So let's look at it right now. Listen to me now. Listen to me now. No, you're not listening. I said no cupcakes. And you try to get cupcakes and you try to ask grandma. Didn't you? Okay, what? Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. You cannot have cupcakes for dinner. I'm done arguing with you. I'm not arguing with you. You need to listen to the things that I say because I'm the mom and I'm the no, adult. No, look at, listen to me. All the time you get them to this thing, this thing, this thing, I'm done arguing with you. So this little guy's on a mission to get himself a cupcake. I'll explain some of it to you because I know it's tough to understand that little guy. See, the backstory is he, he wanted a cupcake and he asked his mom, she said, no, no, you can't touch the cupcakes. Well, so what he did is he went off to grandma and he asked grandma in Spanish if he could have a cupcake, thinking he'd fool his mom. Even though she can speak Spanish fluently, he figured he'd be sneaky and ask grandma in another language. And of course, he got caught. So he begins to plead his case. He begins to rationalize why he should be disobedient. You cannot touch those cupcakes. Well, he says, 
this is grandma's house. We can touch anything in grandma's house. Well, that didn't work. Didn't work. Mom said no. And of course, he's trying to be a little litigator there. He's calling his mother Linda, not really addressing her as the authority that she is, the mother. And he goes now to a new, a different tact. Well, if she, if she, I tried to do this, well, grandmas, we can touch everything. So then he says, well, nothing in this house belongs to you. You know, he opens, nothing in here belongs to you. This doesn't belong to you. It's grandma's. Well, that doesn't work either. He's not getting his way until ultimately they just are going to get to the impasse. I set down the law. You're going to break it. I'm done arguing with you. And he digs his heels in. I'm done arguing with you. Have you ever tried to reason your disobedience? You wanted that cupcake. And you had to convince yourself, whatever you were going to do to get that metaphorical cupcake, that it was just okay. You know, these rationalizations, those justifications, they're nothing new. They started at the dawn of creation when the first man and the first woman that God created, Adam and Eve, were caught in their transgression. They ate their cupcake And then what happened? Well, the man said, listen, God, listen, God. It was that woman. It was that woman you gave me. That's the problem. Well, then what did the woman say? Listen, God, listen, God. It was that serpent you created, the serpent. They're just passing it on. They're they're rationalizing. They're coming up with reasons for uh, their disobedience. And then, of course, they had children of their own, Cain and Abel. And how did they fare? Let's uh, just briefly look at Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, 2 to 7 tells us about Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, obedience to God's word, to quote God, it's what is right. It's evident by this brief little narrative here that Abel knew what was right. Cain Cain had brought the fat portions. He had brought the first, his firstborn. He brought his best. Abel's offering was no doubt less than his best. You know, he wanted to keep the cupcake. He didn't want to let go of the best. 
And then anger and jealousy wells up inside of him. God addresses it, doesn't he? Cain, just do what is right and you will be blessed. Obedience yields the blessing of God. Even when God's word is clear, but we don't understand why. We don't know the reasons. We don't have God's motivation. God didn't tell us his motivation. In, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, there's not really much of an explanation there, is it? God doesn't reveal a motivation. He doesn't say, well, let me list for you 10 reasons why you shouldn't touch that tree. He just says, don't do it. God gave the order and he said, here's the consequence if you don't follow it, if you're disobedient, don't touch the tree or you'll be in trouble. Don't touch the cupcake or you'll be in trouble. There's not really much difference there. You know, the mother, she didn't say to the little boy, well, it's full of sugar and and you're going to get all hyper and then I'm going to have to, you know, give you a a half a gallon of water so it all gets through your system. She didn't explain the motivation. She just said, don't touch the cupcake. It's not time now. Don't do it. But that's not good enough for us, is it? It's not good enough for us to hear, just don't do it. Or that's off limits. We want to know, well, why? Why can't I touch it? Why can't I do that? Well, of course I can do that. It looks good. It's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt anyone if I I do what I've been told not to. It's harmless enough. And God, he never really explained it. He never said why I couldn't do it. We get to the point where we know more than the authority that is set over us. And what does that lead to? What did God say to Cain? Sin is crouching at your door. Disobedience is sin. Cain's rebellion led him to being angry and he was downcast. He was jealous of his brother, ultimately murdered his brother, and, and he was consigned to be a restless wanderer on the earth So disobedience, it ushers in serious consequences. Obedience brings blessing. This is the essence of living the word of God. Living the word of God is to obey the word of God. And I've said it for the past few weeks. It doesn't mean it's the easiest thing for us to do. Living the word is probably the toughest thing for us who call ourselves Christians to do. We can say we believe it. We can say that we know it. But now we have to put it into practice day by day in the moments that we live on this earth. And sometimes it's tough to do. But there's blessing in it. There's blessing in living the word according to the way God put it before us and obeying it. And I want to highlight a New Testament passage to you that gives us this essence of blessing in obedience. Because we read... Psalm 19, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all of their heart. So I have this example about a a Roman, a Roman who was seeking, and he was seeking Jesus. He was a centurion. He was a commander in the Roman army, 
A centurion was typically over a hundred, and that's where the word comes from. It's like our word century. Centurion had about a hundred under his command, and this centurion was seeking Jesus, and he was seeking Jesus for something in particular, for a healing. But it wasn't for himself. The centurion didn't want to come to Jesus to be healed himself, but he had a, a highly valued servant that was ill, that was sick, needed healing. So Jesus had entered the centurion's village, and it was Capernaum where the centurion lived. And he was evidently an unusual Roman. He had somehow taken a liking to the Jews, and he may have even uh, converted to Judaism. He had helped build the synagogue there in the village. Uh, so he'd, he'd gotten close to these people where he'd, he'd have been assigned as a peacekeeper, really. He'd come from, uh, come from Rome. He'd been commanded to go there, keep the peace in this, a territory that was ruled by the Romans. And in Luke's gospel, we read how even certain of the Jewish leaders went on behalf of this centurion to intercept Jesus as he was coming through town and they were to request this healing for the centurion. So Jesus listened to their request. And I want to pick it up in uh, Luke uh, chapter 7. This is verse number 6, and I'll read from 6 through 10. It's right after these leaders of the Jews had come and talked to Jesus about a healing. And it reads, So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house where the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So Jesus commended the faith of this man. And what was remarkable about his faith? What was, what was so remarkable? What, why is it that his faith was so commendable? The centurion's faith was founded in obedience. And this is a man who knew all about what it means to be obedient. This was a military man. This was a centurion in charge of a hundred. The backbone of any military organization is obedience. There is hierarchy and there is rank. And every officer uh, has some station, but they don't have the same station. Some might be in charge of a few. Some might be in charge of many. Another in charge of the entire army. But when one gives an order, obedience is not an option. Obedience is a requirement. Without it, an army could not function. It would just fall apart. When I grew up, I heard this saying from time to time. When I was getting out of line, and I wouldn't do what I was told to do, 
And it came like this. Yours is not to question why. Yours is just to do or die. (laughs) Now, that old saying derives from a poem. And the poem is called The Charge of the Light Brigade. And that's by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Tennyson wrote this poem in 1854. And it was after an ill-fated charge by this brigade called the Light Brigade in uh, the Crimean War. So it's that Crimean Peninsula, which is still giving us issues. But back then in 1854, the British were in the war and this brigade was given an order. And they were to charge into the enemy. They didn't know that the enemy was going to be on the right and on their left and right in their face with cannons blazing. There was some confusion even about the order, whether it had really been a proper order, whether a mistake might have been made. But this brigade of 600 men believed that they had heard a real order. And what did they do? Did they reason it out? Well, maybe it's not right. And what about the enemy over here? No, there's some cannons in our face. No. No, they charged into the enemy's cannons. Cannons to the right, cannons to the left, straight in their faces. And Tennyson immortalized this this brigade's charge with stanzas like this. Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Obedience is at once the soldier's responsibility. And these, they had no regard for whether the order was a mistake, for whether it was on the level. They just responded obediently. The faith of the centurion, the Roman commander, it was founded in such obedience. He lived it. He understood it. He knew the concept. He knew that blessing followed obedience. And he understood that order. He understood that stability and strength were maintained by obedience. And no doubt, he understood the chaos that would ensue with disobedience. When the centurion received an order, he carried it out. That's what he said to Jesus. And likewise, the soldiers under his charge, they responded without question, without hesitation, when he gave the order. No reasoning. There is no alternative. And in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, the centurion recognized that authority. He recognized divine authority. He recognized that Jesus was in command over creation. He understood that this disease that his servant had, it was subservient to the creator of the world. So for the, for the centurion, it was easy for him to say, Jesus, all you need to do is give the command because it, it has to obey and the disease will be gone. The disease could not reason an alternative. We, on the other hand, are different. God, in his all-wise providence, he created us 
with volition. He gave us the opportunity to reason. He gave us the capacity to obey or not. To live the word is to obey. And when we see living it as the centurion did, when we see obedience to God's word, it's not to be questioned. It's just to be carried out. When we see it that way, we'll be like this centurion, commended for faith, under the blessing of his creator. Oh, sure, to to obey uh, some of the word, it's easy. It doesn't require a sacrifice. But there are times, aren't there? When there's that great big cupcake right before us. It's tempting us. We know. We know. It's off limits. Or it might be that obedience is going to require something from us. It's going to require rejection. It's going to bring ridicule. It might instill fear in us. It might bring on persecution. And that's when we need to see. That's when we need to realize the true and the real beauty and blessing in just being obedient. From the time of Adam and Eve, when they were set in the garden, there were just really two paths set before mankind. The one path, that's the, the, the path of self-gratification, uh, of selfishness, of doing it our own way. And the other path, that's the pure path that Psalm 9, 119 speaks of. It's the pure path that is marked by obedience. And when the pure path is difficult, when it's hard to submit, when you feel you're right, but you're being unduly persecuted, you're being unjustly dealt with, when there is a struggle between your better nature and your worse nature, and you have to overcome your own will to do the will of the one that's been set over you, it demands some self-humiliation. We need to really put our pride under our feet. We have to lower ourselves in our own eyes. We have to lower ourselves before others sometimes. And we'd rather be spared from that. We'd rather not do that. So sometimes we begin to rationalize because we'd like to rationalize and reason a way out of it. But we can win this. We can win this battle of, uh, of will and be uh, victorious and obedient. And we can do it when we look for strength to be helped to do it. And, and we can look at some of these examples I mentioned, but not merely to the example of, uh, of the soldiers of the light brigade who chose to die rather than disobey. And we can do it by looking beyond the centurion who boldly professed his faith founded on obedience to Christ. We need to look even higher to see and be strengthened by obedience in all of its majesty, in its grand glory, 
in its real beauty. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Christ is the great example of our Savior. Look to him. He did not just uh, consider himself worthy of of holding on to uh, the nature of God. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, Jesus was the very nature of God. But he did not consider equality with God something that he would use to his own advantage or that he would keep hold of. No, he made himself nothing. And he took on the very nature of what? He took on the very nature of his own creation. He took on the very nature of mankind. He put himself in the form of a man. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. And he took on this human likeness. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. And he became obedient. It's hard for us sometimes, I think, to wrap our minds around the idea of Christ, the perfect one, being obedient. But he was obedient to the will of the Father. That was his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. He set himself beneath the will. And he was obedient. Obedient even unto death. The death, the, the agony, all the, the torture of the death of a cross. All the shame in his obedience. So put yourself there. Stand at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you struggle with being obedient to his word, if you struggle with living out his word in any way, shape, or form, put yourself at the foot of the cross and look up to his obedience. Obedience made perfect as he gave his life for each and every one of us. He gave his life for humankind. As you see him, seek him. Seek him for strength. Seek him for power. Ask him for grace. Pray as the psalmist did. Oh, that my ways were, if, that, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. When we're motivated by the love of Christ, when we're motivated by what Jesus did for us and what he did by being obedient, the death on the cross, then that self-motivated spirit, then that selfishness that we have, then our disobedience can, can be washed away. This is what we heard even in the open this morning from Psalm 34 to be crushed in spirit, to be humiliated. Sometimes we need to crush our spirit down to be obedient to the word of God and be humble and eliminate that, that self-motivation by looking to Jesus. And it, and it can be replaced by a sincere desire to live his word and follow his way by faith, rooted down deep in obeying. If you need to know that power this morning, I just invite everyone here to stand as we close. And if you need some of that power, if you need to look to the cross, it might be humbling even to step out of your seat to say, I have rationalized my disobedience from time to time. And God, I want help with that. I want to see Christ as the obedient one and I want to be obedient like him. You need to know his power and quietness and trust and obedience. 
You need to stop striving to do it your way and just be still and know he's God. We're going to sing that song one more time. And if you, if you need some prayer, if you desire prayer, these altars are open for that. And we'd like to pray with you before we leave this morning. Thank you, Father, for the grace and blessing of your Holy Spirit, for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God, for any here at these altars, any in our sanctuary, God, that just need to be strengthened in obedience, Lord, I pray you'd give them that, Lord, that they could see you, Jesus, as the perfect example of yielding to those over us, God, and that they could yield to your word and bless them, Lord. We know that blessing follows it, so pour it out, God. Seal it in our hearts. Show us, God, in a tangible way. Give us an example that we can hang our hat on, that we can see the blessing and obedience to you. God, thank you for everyone here. Bless them as they go. Keep them in all their ways, God, and return them back safe the next time we get together to worship you and praise your name. And we ask all these good favors, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless you this morning.